uh, in verse number two. Uh, if you weren't here when I welcomed everybody initially, welcome. Amen. It's great to see you this morning. Thank you for, for being here. Thank you for making the things of God and fellowship with God and fellowship with His people a priority in your life and family. I know there's a lot of opportunities in our world today to do other things, and I'm glad that you chose uh, the part that Jesus said will not be taken away from you. Amen. Amen. The part that will not be taken away from you. His, his things. Praise God. Things of the Spirit. So um, I want us to review some of the high points from last week and, uh, and develop some of those uh, further before we um, move into some uh, related uh, things from the Word of God. One of the things the Holy Spirit impressed upon me as I was uh, studying and preparing for this morning is that there's treasure in this field. But what do we say? The Bible says that the, the wisdom that God has hidden for you, for your glory, amen, it's, it's available, but if it's hidden, that means it's not just laying on the surface. We, we, have, we have to diligently seek for it, and God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so in the interest of, of diligence, there were some things last week that I just briefly mentioned that I really feel impressed of the Holy Spirit to go back and, and, and develop and, and expound further. So I appreciate you being engaged with us as we do that. So um, one of our key verses, and we got a few key verses for this particular study, one of our key verses is um, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And when he talks about proving it, certainly becoming an example for the world to see, God is looking for men and women that will become living proof that it pays to put God first in your life and to honor God with your life and with your substance. But he's also talking about something personal here that you, you may prove, that it may be proven to you, that you may know, that you may go from hoping and wishing and trying to believe to knowing as Abraham knew, fully persuaded. And we see that we reach that level of confidence and full persuasion in God by, uh, by doing, by um, applying, by, by walking these things out and, and living these things out um, in uh, our lives. And so when he's talking about proving the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, He's talking about the part, this is not three different levels or degrees of God's will. You hear sometimes people present it that way, but that's not what he's talking about here. God's will for your life is God's will for your life. Good, perfect, and acceptable are not three levels or categories, but they're three adjectives in the original language describing the singular will of God for your life. And it means beneficial, well-pleasing, and all-encompassing. Perfect means all-encompassing, full circle. So God's plan for your life includes every area and aspect of your life. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something that's well-pleasing to you as well as to Him. And it's, and it's beneficial. Amen. It pays. It's beneficial. Amen. So that you may prove, that, that it may be proven to you, that it may be proven to the world around you. Now from this, we've come up with a few phrases that hopefully will register and stick in your mind. And this one is that a reconditioned mind will always produce a transformed life. I know we teach on these things uh, extensively here at Heritage, but let me, just to set up where we're headed this morning, and for those of you who may be new to our study, 
Remember, the Bible speaks of our salvation in both past, present, and future tense. The Scriptures teach that you have been saved if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and accepted for yourself what He's done for you, okay? So it speaks of it in the past tense, have been. It speaks of it in the present tense, are being. And it also speaks of it in the future tense, will be, shall be saved. And we see that denominational lines are, are usually drawn around what people tend to think about these three different uh, tenses of our salvation. So which one is it? Are we or are, have we been or will we be? And it's all three at the same time. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. And your spirit has been, that's the real you. Your soul is being saved. The Bible says we are not among those who pull back, but we are those who believe to the saving of the soul. The saving of the soul is not the same thing as the Holy Spirit's work of salvation in your innermost being or your spirit. Your soul is your mind, emotions, and will, the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. And that's a work in progress. When you were, when you were born again and became a new creation, your soul was not born again. You received the mind of Christ, which means you now have the spiritual capacity to understand and process spiritual truth and concepts, okay? But, you know, you, your, your mind and the reconditioning or the renewing of your mind is an ongoing progressive work, okay? And then we see that the Bible says we shall be saved. This is speaking of the work of salvation where your body is concerned because we're one day going to have a body that is comparable to the born-again spirit that's already in uh, this flesh. Amen, and that's good news. That's very good news. So when we talk about the reconditioning of the mind, we're, we're talking specifically about the work of the Holy Spirit in the area of our thinking. It's one thing to be free. It's another thing to think like someone who's been made free so that you can live free. It's one thing to be made rich. It's another thing to think like someone who's been made rich so that you can live a life of prosperity. It's one thing to be righteous, be made righteous by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's another thing to think like a righteous man or woman so that you can live righteously. So it's spirit, soul, and body. One-dimensional thinking is one of the biggest problems that we have in the body of Christ today where, where three-dimensional beings are trying to understand a three-dimensional God, a triune God, who created a triune man after their image and likeness. Amen. God's Word is written to you as a three-dimensional being. Are you following what I'm saying? Brother Copeland talks about when he first heard Brother Hagen teach on spirit, soul, and body. He said, my Lord, that's the key that, that, that opens up all of this. And, and I say it this way, understanding spirit, soul, and body will answer more than a thousand questions for you. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. You cannot understand the Scriptures. You cannot understand the Scriptures the way you need to understand the Scriptures thinking one-dimensionally. Amen. Hebrews 10, 14 is a classic example. The Bible says he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Has perfected forever past completed work. Are being sanctified ongoing work. He's literally saying you are a perfected work in progress. It's like, well, how, how can it be both? You're a three-dimensional being. That's how it can be both at the same time. Now, you, can you take this? If I, if I give you a little hint to it, First John says that if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. Then he says that because God's seed abides in you, you do not sin because you cannot sin. Now, either John's getting old and forgot what he wrote in chapter 1, or there's something here that, we, that we're missing. And what most people are missing in trying to understand the Scriptures is a three-dimensional being. 
your born-again spirit has been so thoroughly made right and holy and righteous, right? Created again in true righteousness and holiness that the real you can't sin anymore. Now, that's not saying that you can't. See, some of you, I just felt you like push back. No, no, don't push back. Again, one-dimensional thinking pushes back, right? There is a level of you that, that is sinless, and that's the real you. Amen. So how are we to understand if you say you don't sin, you rely on the truth not in you, but the same book of the Bible also says that because God's seed abides in you, you cannot sin. You'll never understand it unless you understand you're a three-dimensional being. You're a three-dimensional being. Amen. So as, as God is, is working in our lives and our responsibility is to cooperate with Him, amen, because He is alive in us both to will and to do Father's good pleasure. The Holy Spirit is in you both to will and to do. And I think a lot of folks, I, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are exceptions to this, but my experience, both personally in my own life, and, and in having the opportunity to serve many of, of God's people over the years, is that, is that people want what God wants. They want to live the life God created them to live. There's a, there's a desire in them, a will in them to do it, because, but because they don't really understand how to get from where they are now to where they feel like they ought to be. They, they allow the enemy to, to condemn them, and, you know, if you really were serious and you're just a poor excuse for a Christian and blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's because we don't, we don't understand what God is actually trying to do and, and wanting to work in our lives and and the and the key focus of discipleship is the reconditioning of the mind we live in a world that has conditioned us to to think certain ways and to look at things from a certain perspective and and, and to respond uh in, in certain ways do you understand the concept of an automatic thought that drives an automatic response amen Kids, don't raise your hand, but just keep looking straight ahead. But, you know, any, any you kids feel like your parents' first thought, no matter what the question is, is no. It's like you feel like you get the no before you even get the whole question out, right? It's like, hey, Dad, I was wondering if we could. No. You know, it's, it's, an, it's an automatic response. It's, it's, you know, and we all have these, you know, it's like we've been programmed, we've been conditioned to respond a certain way is because our, our minds have been conditioned to think and, and, and to look at things a certain way. And your outward life reality, your, your outward life experience is always going to line up with your thinking, with your mindset, with, with the way you view yourself and God and the world around you. Even if even if that's not really who you are. Amen? You see, we've been made new creations in Christ Jesus, but we know more about the person we were than the person we became, so we tend to live more like the person we were than the person we became. So, again, if you've never been born again, the, the, you, need to get, you need to get the new birth. You need to be born again. You need to receive salvation. And, and that is the ultimate life transformation that's eternal amen um and so if you have been born again though then what we need to see is that is that is that holy spirit now with the word of god and and god the father they're wanting to work on the reconditioning of of our minds 
So when we say a reconditioned mind will always produce a transformed life, we're talking about moving what is an inward reality outward to an expression of life. Now, we've also, along with all of this, we've said that a significant shift in our lives requires a significant shift in our thinking. And the Word of the Lord came to us, um, it's been a few weeks back now, that 2023, that Father wanted to, uh, to see a significant shift, produce significant shifts in our life realities. Amen. And obviously we grow and, 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 and we progress incrementally, and, and all of that is, is, is great and necessary and certainly part of, of, of life and living. But there comes times in our lives where Father wants to expedite. And, and because He operates outside of time and space, He has the ability to even restore to us years that were wasted. Now, how He does that, I don't know, but He's God, and there's nothing too hard for God. And God has the ability to make up in your life for years that you spent, I spent doing things that we shouldn't have done or spinning our wheels or wasting time. or, or he, it's, it's phenomenal how he does that. And then on the other side of that same coin is God has the, Father has the ability to propel us forward. You know, a, a, a giant leap, uh, a significant shift. Now, I'm already hearing uh, from some of you uh, about significant shifts in your finances people who have gotten large raises or people who have gotten, um, uh, you know, promotions or uh, up for promotions in, in their jobs and, and, and things of this nature. And, and certainly we're talking about a significant shift in, in many areas of your life. Even, even if you have a wonderful marriage, I believe Father God wants a significant shift in our marriages. Amen. A significant shift in our parenting. A significant shift in... In, in anything and everything that affects you or that you have influence over. And so this significant shift in our lives requires this significant shift in our thinking. Now, this is where the Holy Spirit is leading us to kind of drill down or, or dig down into some things. Because when we talk about our thinking, that's a big subject. Amen. Thinking is, 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 is a big subject. And so I, I want us to narrow our focus to what is a key element of our thinking, and that is, that is what we talked about last week, our perception. Perception is a part of this, you know, comprehensive umbrella of, of our thinking. But perception is one of the most important uh, aspects or elements of our thinking. And so we can say it this way, a significant shift in our lives requires a significant shift in our perception. So what does it mean to perceive? Because we see this word in Scripture it's, it's often translated different ways. Sometimes the word perceive is translated, and I'll show you this at least in one case in the scriptures in a moment, but the word perceive is, is sometimes translated to the word know or knowing. Sometimes it's translated to the word understand or understanding. And I don't want to confuse you because the Greek language is more advanced than the English language. Sometimes the word we read understand in the New Testament, and it, it means something different than perceive. So, you know, we have to, to go back in and, and, and look at that. But perceive is, again, a key element of our thinking. And I think when we talk about a significant shift in our lives requires a significant shift in our thinking. What, what we're really talking about is a significant shift in our perception. And so the word perceive means to be aware of. 
to be conscious of. And we said that your perception is the way you see it. Come on now. You ever use that expression? Well, the way I see it. Okay, well, I mean, amen. A lot of times when people begin with the way I see it, is they're fixing to give you their take, their opinion, you know. And But have you noticed, like, sometimes the way people see it is the way they see it. And if you see it differently, then, you know, uh, pity the fool, right? I mean, because they, they only see it the way they see it, and they refuse to, to even consider how you see it. Okay, that's also known as being stubborn, okay. But I, we've been conditioned. Amen, that it goes back to, you know, a significant shift. Uh, in our lives requires a significant shift in our perception. Well, this means we're going we're gonna to have to, you know, maybe re-examine some of these areas that we've been stubborn and refused to re-examine. Amen or me on that? That's important right there. Okay. So the way you see it, the way you look at things, the way you understand. So again, sometimes our perception and, and the word, biblical word for perceive is translated understand. Now, we'll, we'll circle back to that. When I was a child, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 we see an example of significant shift in Scripture. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. All right? So as long as you speak, understand, and think like a child, you'll behave like a child no matter how old you are. Okay? Amen? So notice what Paul is talking about here is that he experienced this significant shift where he no longer perceived things from the limited awareness and consciousness of a child and he began to perceive things, look at things, see things differently from a completely different perspective, from a a completely different place. He began to perceive differently. And by the way, we've been talking about some things on Wednesday night and I hope that if you're not here able to be here on Wednesday night, that you're following along, I, I, I don't, amen, I'm trying to give you something, I'm not trying to sell you anything, but we've been looking at some of the different reasons why people struggle to receive from God, and, and, and one of the things that we see in John 6 is that we, we sometimes struggle to receive from God because we're trying to figure out what we can do to compensate for our weak and wavering faith, where we're, we're, we're you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, we're, we're you know, we're, we're not fully persuaded, and so a lot of times what, what we do, one of the things that we do is, is we try to substitute our own effort. It's like, we well, just need to pray more. Well, praying's good, but Jesus said, don't think your prayer will be answered for your much asking. You know, but we think, well, you know, to substitute for our weak and wavering faith, we're just going to get people to pray in 14 countries and, 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 and 28 states and 948 churches, and we're going to put it on social media, and surely if we just get enough people praying, see... We're trying to do more to compensate for. And so when we talk about this father wanting a significant shift in our lives and it requiring a significant shift in our perception, please let me make it abundantly clear. You can't get there without him. This is not just something, you know, some formula, some recipe, just, you know, say these words seven times in the morning and seven times in the afternoon and seven times before you go to bed and no, no, he is the one. Paul went from perceiving as a child to perceiving as a man, not because he's so smart and intelligent and studied and this and that. He, this was a man who knew the Scriptures frontwards and backwards. But only the Holy Spirit can bring this shift in our perception. We have to be willing. We have to, to make ourselves available and yield to him 
But it's, it's, are you seeing things differently today than maybe you did three years ago? And is that making a big difference in your life? It should be, right? Well, we're talking about a significant shift now in the, in the, in the way we perceive things, bringing a significant shift uh, for the better in, in our lives, okay? So, as long as you perceive like a child, you will experience life like a child, no matter how old you are or how significant the consequences because adults and children experience life differently. And we, we, we talked a lot about this part last week. And if you weren't here, I apologize. The message is, is free. It's online. You can listen to it, watch it. But one of the things, the, the Holy Spirit, and it was kind of a sensitive thing, but one of the things the Holy Spirit brought us to in the Scriptures is how someone who's born again perceives death versus someone who's not born again. And the Bible says that we both, the believer and the non-believer, may have sorrow at the passing of a loved one, but that those of us who are born again, that have a loved one who's born again that passes from this life, that we sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. So we have a different perception of death. We see death differently. We look at death differently. We, we know things about death, amen, that, that cause us to have a different experience where death is concerned, than someone who does not know God. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? I'm trying to help you connect with this on a, on a practical level. All right. Now, this is where I want us, and the Holy Spirit directed me to, to go back and, and, and dig down into this uh, a little deeper. Okay. And it, and it goes back to this definition of perceive. And we see the words to be aware of, to be conscious of, and then, of course, the way you see it, the way you look at things, the way you understand things. But let's go back to, to be aware of and to be conscious of because when you look at this word in, in the Greek language, in the biblical sense, being aware of something and being conscious of something are, are not just repeating the same thought. And, and these words, and again, if you look in an English dictionary, you will see that Sometimes, some definitions of the word aware actually use the word conscious in the definition of the word aware and vice versa. You look up the word conscious and you see that the word aware is used in the definition of the word conscious. And so it wouldn't necessarily, at least in an English usage sense, be wrong to consider these words as, as being synonyms, as meaning the same thing. But, but biblically, when we, when we look at it in, in, a, in a biblical Greek dictionary, we see that there is one very slight difference that, again, I'm going to use the word, I hope I'm not overusing it for you, it's a slight difference, but it is a significant difference. It, it, is, a, it is a life-changing difference. And that's what, maybe we won't get much further than that this morning, but that's, that's the part, amen, and I hope the Holy Spirit's helping you bring your heart to attention to, 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 to really embrace this and, and, and lay hold of the difference, okay? So to be aware of, to be conscious of. The words can be used interchangeably as synonyms, but there's an important difference in their meaning. So the word aware means to have knowledge of. To be knowledge, to have knowledge of. So someone shared something with me this morning that I was not aware of. Okay, I didn't know it. But now that, that they have told me about the situation, I am now aware of it. All right? 
I, I was not aware that Pastor Cornelius' wife was in the hospital until I talked with him this morning. Now that I know it, I am aware of it. So when we think of this word perceive being uh, to be aware of and to be conscious of, there's, there's the and that we need to insert there. Aware means to have knowledge of it. Now, let's just stop there for a minute and, and think about all of the things that so many of God's children are unaware of, that are ignorant of it. We, we, we don't know. I thank God for what we know, but the Bible says if any man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know it. And you do realize that there are different levels and degrees of, of knowing and experiencing the goodness of God and, and, the, and the blessing of God and, and the benefits uh, and, and the will of God in our lives. Amen? We should be experiencing more and more uh, outward expressions uh, of, of inward new birth realities in our lives. And the Apostle Paul, speaking along these lines to the Philippians, we won't turn there this morning, but he, he told them, he said, listen, to whatever level you have obtained, whatever degree, so a degree, in other words, it's, I don't know what the temperature is in here this morning, we try to keep it comfortable in here, but if, you know, there's a difference between 70 degrees and 73 degrees. It, it's, it's an incremental increase. And so Paul says, to whatever degree you've obtained, then walk by the same rule. What is he saying? He's saying when you experience the good things of God in your life and family, don't look at those as anomalies. Don't look at those as, as just rare spiritual experiences. But let that become the new rule in your life. Let that become the new normal in your life. If you've experienced healing, don't let it just be this once-in-a-lifetime thing. Let healing become the new normal in your life. Whatever degree to which you've obtained these things... The enemy's trying to steal them from you and you've got to fight the good fight of faith and, and, and hold on to the ground that you've taken, so to speak, and, and, and then let that become not the ceiling, but let that become the new floor from which you continue to answer the upward call of God uh, for your life. Amen. So there are, there are so many things and, and I've had opportunity, you know, I'm so thankful, I've had opportunity to, to serve a lot of God's people over the years, not just here at Heritage. I have opportunity to minister in, in other places. And, and it's just astounding to me, it's sad to me, um, how few of God's people even understand righteousness by faith. And, and, and so they're still thinking that their, their right standing with God is based upon, you know, what they've done for God lately and... And, and they're trying to earn things that have been freely given to them, it's because they don't know. They're not aware of it. So thankfully, we've been made aware of some things. Not that we know everything. No man knows everything. But are you thankful for what we've been made aware of, for what we know? Okay? And so we're not going to let those things slip. That's another uh, expression we see in the Scriptures where, you know, we, we know some things, but then we let them slip and we, we forget about them. All right? So... We then see this other word that is in this biblical definition of perceive, and it is this word conscious. And conscious also means to be aware of, but it carries with it the next step of how we respond 
to our environment. How we respond... So our environment, that's just a fancy way of saying how we respond to what's going on around us. Have you ever thought about the word circumstances? Circum comes from the word circle. Stances comes from the word stand or stance. And so circumstances are those things that stand around you in a circle. So it's what's going on around you, circumstances. And obviously we, we gravitate towards favorable circumstances. Amen. Uh, and, uh, and, and we 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 not real fond of, of negative circumstances. But a circumstance is just a circumstance. It's what's going on around you. So conscious then means to, to also, it would include this idea of having knowledge, of being aware of. But then it, it, it carries it to the next step of responding to the circumstances or responding to one's environment. So let me try to simplify this. It's one thing to know. But it's another thing altogether to respond to what's going on around you based on what you know. Are you seeing this? This is such a difference maker here. Again, uh, let me slow down just a moment, all right? It's one thing to know, 1 Peter 2.24, that says, by his stripes you were healed. But it's another thing, it's another thing altogether to respond to a scratchy throat based upon what you know about 1 Peter 2.24. So the, the being aware of and conscious of carries with it the idea of how we respond to what it is that we're dealing with or experiencing or whatever challenges may be in front of us. So do you see how this is where the, the, the difference is being made or not being made in our lives. It's not enough just to know about it. Knowing about it is a, is a huge first step. Knowing about it sure does beat not knowing about it. But just because you know about something, just because you know about something, doesn't mean that you are activating that in your life by faith. Just because you have the armor doesn't mean you're putting it on. Just because you have the, the opportunity doesn't mean you're, you're taking God up on the opportunity. Just because the door's open doesn't mean you're walking through it. All right, let's, um, <clears throat> let's look at a classic example of, um, of this difference, okay? And I believe the Holy Spirit led me to present it to you this way. So let's just take a moment here. Let's look first. I'm going to show you three different passages, all from the book of Matthew. Now, we could, we could have looked at these in, in different Gospels, but I'm doing it strategically, directed by the Holy Spirit, to show it to you from one singular Gospel so that you would understand that these aren't just repeated, repeated instances. You understand, I'm like, like you can read about Jesus doing something in Matthew, then read about him doing the same thing in Luke. And it's just Luke's account of the same miracle or the same teaching. Now, you have to let the Holy Spirit help you because sometimes they may seem similar, but it's actually completely different. It's just Jesus expanding in one gospel on something that he taught uh, earlier in his ministry that was recorded in another. All right, So there's that aspect to it as well. But from all three uh, passages from Matthew. So we're going to begin at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples, show it to them, okay? 
showed to his disciples that he must, excuse me, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, if you're familiar with this, this is when Peter rebuked him, told him, no, that's not going to happen. Right? And, of course, Jesus set that straight. Now, one chapter over, Matthew 17, 22 and 23. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. So the exceedingly sorrowful part confirms that they heard what he said and even responded to it emotionally. So it wasn't like, you know, they were, you know, channel surfing while Jesus was talking and didn't pay attention to what he said. They heard what he said to the point that, that it... Uh, you know, evoked an emotional response from them. So if you're keeping score at home, that's twice. (laughs) Now we're going to number three, Matthew chapter 20, verses 17, 18, and 19. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, look at me for a moment, right? So they're going into Jerusalem. It's about to go down. And Jesus pulls the chariot over on the side of the road. Right? He's got a 15-passenger chair. I'm just being silly here, right? So he pulls it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? He's like, all right, guys, hold on. Everybody come over here. Get out of the road for a minute. Come over here with me for a second. Okay, listen, I'm putting this part in, but he's basically, the, the mindset here is, I've already told you this twice, so let me tell you again. Behold. Think about it. Behold means to consider this. Don't, don't just let this sell in one ear and out the other, okay? Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. <laughs> so that's three. That's three specific, distinct accurate, no room for confusion. We know that they heard it because they responded to it emotionally. Now on top of this, we know that Jesus made many veiled references to his death. The Gospel of John records several of those. I'm not going to go through all of those with you. And then we also know that Jesus spoke of it frequently using metaphors The two that we know of are destroy this temple and in three days I will build it again. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. So we have three specific distinct Jesus telling them point blank, we might say it that way. And then we have veiled references, and then we have metaphorical references. So there's no reason for them to not know this. And by the way, they knew it. They knew it. 
But it never changed, at least <laughs> initially it didn't. We'll say it that way. Never is too strong of a word maybe. It did not change the way they responded when they found themselves in the middle of the circumstances. You with me? Praise God, this is so important now. Am I the only one that's ever like, guys, why were y'all so afraid? Why were you, why were you hiding? Why, why when you were told that he was raised from the dead, did, did, did you not believe it? Why were you not expecting it? He told you what they were going to do to him. He told you who was going to do it to him. He didn't, he didn't reveal, but he did say somebody's going to betray me. They're going to turn me over to the Jews who are going to turn me over to the Romans and they're going to beat me, they're going to mock me, they're going to scourge me and they're going to crucify me. They're not just going to, he, other times he told them, you know, they're going to kill me. Now he's telling them exactly how it's going to go down and it went down exactly as he told them it was going to go down. But they were not expecting him to rise again on the third day. Why is that? It's because their perception never changed. Their perception never changed. Now, watch this. Now, this is, this is interesting, okay? <laughs> Brother Jerry O'Dell, I'm going to share that, and then I'll show you the verse, okay? Brother Jerry O'Dell, he was talking about uh, they were trying to get up into the mountains in a remote part of India to preach the gospel to, to a bunch of villagers there that had never heard the name of Jesus a single time. And, um, and there were uh, factions of another religion that were carrying them to, they, they filed a, an order in the courts to stop them, and there was a, they had to go before a judge. And, uh, and these people who were enemies of the gospel, they tell the judge, they say, Judge, they will go up into those hills and tell those people about Jesus, and they will convert by the thousands. And Brother Jerry was standing there in that court, and he thought, My goodness, he said, enemies of the gospel have more confidence in the gospel than a lot of God's own people. They'll go tell them and they'll convert by the thousands. You've got to stop them. Now, in that same vein, look at this. Matthew 27, verse 62. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember. Thank God somebody did. We remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. Do do you see the difference here? They knew about Jesus saying he would be raised from the dead. They didn't believe it necessarily, but they were conscious. They were not just aware of it. They didn't just know about it. They were conscious. What's the difference between being aware and being conscious? Being aware is knowing it. Being conscious is responding to, what, to the situation and circumstances based upon what you know. They remembered Jesus said he would raise from the dead. The disciples didn't remember. They forgot it. They, it, it was not a factor whatsoever in their grief, in their sorrow, in, in, in the devil accusing them. Man, you, you sacrificed all. You walked away from a lucrative business to follow this man around for three years. Now he's dead and you're a loser, right? And, and they're, now they're after you. You're next. They're going to crucify you next. They're going to try to stamp out any memory of, of this Jesus. And you were right there with him, skinning and grinning like some big shot. And now look at you. You've put a target on 
on your own back. Blah, blah, blah. This is where they were going. That was their perception. Their perception was one of fear. Their perception was, was, was one of, of, of you know, uh, imagined negative outcomes, also known as worry, anxiety, stress, depression, sorrow, fear of all kinds, hiding, afraid. And now, now you got Mary bursting in the door. He's alive. And they're like, woman, you don't know what you're talking about. Even when they went and looked in the tomb, I believe it says that, that um, Peter, one of them, believed when they saw the empty tomb and the grave clothes undisturbed. But there were still other disciples after, after hearing it a, 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 another time. And it says this in John 20 and 29. It says, For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And the word here that's translated know, it is a... I don't know how... You know, language evolves, and it means different things. It's always changing and evolving. And so this particular word has actually been replete, replaced in, in, uh, in Greek. This is, would be like ancient Greek and a, and a usage that's no longer applicable. But again, it's in the Scriptures because the Scriptures are ancient Greek, right? They're ancient words. But it, and I'm not making this up, it would be better translated perceived, but... The word perceived carries with it a dual meaning of knowing, being aware, and or seeing, being conscious of, and responding based upon what you know. So notice now, they're, they're seeing an empty tomb, but they're still not responding. Now, there's, aren't you glad there's coming a day when they're going to respond? Because they're going to they're gonna perceive. Meaning what? Meaning they're going to begin to view life and circumstances and situations around them in light of Jesus conquering death, hell, and the grave. And that's where we all need to be as well. Amen? All right, can you, just a couple more minutes. We've, we've made it here, so I want to bring this home to, uh, to us, okay? Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So when we talk about your perception, we're talking about the way you see things, the way you view things, the way, the way you look at things moving forward. A significant shift in your life is when a significant shift in your perception, the way you view what's going on around you, right? How you look at it, how you see it. It's one thing to know that God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. I would dare say every person listening to me right now knows that in, in the sense that you are aware of it. And, and so much so that we are so aware of it in this country that it's hard for us to comprehend anybody on planet Earth not being aware of God sending His own Son and having Him delivered up for us all to, to, to be the sacrifice for our sins. Okay, But it's one thing for us to know that God did not spare His own Son. It's another thing altogether to respond to the challenges we face in life with that awareness. My friend, how quickly we forget. How quickly we forget what God did for us three days ago when we face a similar challenge today. Am I right about this? 
You see, this is what Paul was saying, that, that, that whatever level we've obtained, don't, don't let that slip, but let that become the new established normal in your life. I, I shared this with the class on Wednesday night. When I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, what a, with the initial evidence of speaking in unknown tongues, man, what, an, what a moment in my life, what a, what a wonderful experience in my life. I had no idea. I had no idea until uh, the gentleman, Brother Keith Ellis, Pastor Keith Ellis, who prayed with me, uh, that night to receive the baptism of the Spirit. He came up to me like, like I don't know, two or three weeks later. He said, you've been praying every day in an unknown tongue? I'm like, what? See, I thought it was an epiphany. I thought it was just kind of like this, you know, I got my Holy Spirit speaking in tongues card and, you know, check that box. What's next, you know? I, I did not have the perception of this is a gift now that I can use every day of my life. I, I, I wasn't, I didn't see it that way. I see it now that way. But then I didn't see it that way. All right, praise God. So bottom line is this. Perception is more than being aware, having knowledge of something. Perception is when the knowledge you have changes the way you see things and the way you respond to them. What shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things based upon what we know from the Word of God, what we've been made aware of from the Word of God? What shall we say to the scratchy throat? What shall we say to the bill that we don't seem to have enough money to pay? What shall we say to lingering sin habits in in our lives? What shall we say? How are we going to respond? Are we going to respond based upon the way the world has conditioned our mind to see things? Or are we going to respond based upon what we've been made aware of from the Word of God? This is, the, this is the shift in our perception. Instead of waiting on everything and everyone around you to change, what if your perception, the way you see and respond, amen, what if your perception of everyone and everything around you changed first? Because we're invited to see and respond to people and situations the way God sees and responds to them. Nothing will change your life experience for the better more than this significant shift. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. You get anything out of this? Amen. 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 So, Jesus made it clear to us that the devil, Matthew 13, uh, the parable of the sower, that Satan comes immediately to steal the word. And he steals 100% of the word you never hear. He steals 100% of the word you hear and do not understand. Okay. But if you hear the word and understand it, and the word begins to produce results in your life, Satan doesn't just say, oh, well, I lost that fight. No. Now he's going to start applying pressure from the outside. See, that's the conformed by the world. He's going to situation, circumstances, things standing around. He's going to start trying to apply pressure to the outside and try to get you to turn loose of the Word of God. Start thinking and speaking and, and responding like somebody who doesn't know anything about God, right? Before the Word of God has an opportunity to put roots down in your life. If the Word of God puts roots down in your life, Satan doesn't say, well, you know, I just... Um, can't do anything about that no no now he's going to try to plant other things alongside what the word of God is producing in your life in hopes that he can get those things to grow up around and choke it out 
But then there's that group of folks like us this morning, right? That we're going to bear fruit from the Word of God 30, 60, 100 fold in our lives. Because we're going, to under, we're going to hear it, we're going to understand it, we're not going to quit, we're not going to pull back, we're not going to give in to the pressure, and, and we're not going to quit and not know we did, you know, when things just gradually grow up around and choke it out. We're going to persevere, amen? Amen? The perception that you have of God and yourself, how you see and respond, how you see yourself, and respond according to how you see yourself. You, you realize so many of the interpersonal relationship issues that we have have more to do with the way we see ourselves than the person that we think is so annoying that we... Man, that, I've never told you to sit back down after I've told you to stand up. Might, no, I'm just kidding. Y'all good? Amen? Are you hearing me? See, we, 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 when is my wife going to change? When is she going to submit? You realize when, when the Bible says wives submit to your husbands that he's not talking to the husbands. He's talking to the wives. When he's telling the husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church, he's not talking to the wives. He's talking to the husbands. So what, what, what does that mean, Pastor Mark? He, he, never, he never told a husband to tell his wife to submit. He told the wife to submit to the husband. Now, the wife will either listen to God and submit to the husband, or she won't. That's between her and God. You say, well, what if she never submits, Pastor Mark? Then she won't. And you trying to make her, right? Come on, husbands, what's our responsibility? Make our wives submit? No, love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, what's your responsibility? Recognize the order of God in the home. Getting quiet up on me in here. Amen. Amen. But see, the perception that we have of ourselves, right? Ain't nobody bossing me around. I ain't submitting to no man. I'm the wrong person. See, again, that's... Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. See, we keep waiting on everybody else to change. We keep waiting on everybody else to do different. Everybody else to this. Everybody else to that. Everybody, everybody, well, she's going to respect me. She is now. Right, okay. Well, that's a real respectful attitude. I find it very easy to respect somebody that demands my respect, right? It's not how this works. Not how any of this works. See, it's the perception that we have of ourselves and what we wind up projecting onto other people. If you, just, if you just let God do a work in your life, you'll be amazed at how many people and how many circumstances and situations standing around you change just like that. And, and this is not sleight of hand. It's, it's how you view it. What is racism other than, come on now, think about it. What is racism other than a perception of someone with a different skin tone than you that didn't come from God, it came from hell itself? 
You perceive that person as a threat. You perceive that person as less than you. You, you prejudge them. It's your perception. That's it. That's it right there. And then how you respond. See, we, Matt was talking about the righteous are as bold as a lion. <clears throat> Our insecurities cost us so much. Cost us so much. See, some of you long over, you talk about a raise. I'm not talking to everybody. I'm talking to somebody right here this morning. You should have asked your boss for a raise six months ago, but you're too insecure to walk in there and say, hey, you know what? I've been with this company this many years, and, and um, I feel like I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing increase in pay. Well, you know, what, what if they this? What if they that? Well, I mean, what if they do? Right? Don't prejudge their response and, and let that determine what you're going to go do. Pray about it, commit it to God, and, and go do it. Amen? Go do it. Father, thank you. <clears throat> You're helping us, Lord. I pray that folks listening to you and to your words, Father, this morning are, are realizing how, how much you're trying to help us. Father, that we would recognize how much of the way we see things has nothing to do with the way you see things. How we look at things is so distant from the way you look at things, the way we view other people compared to how you view other people, Lord. Look at me for a minute now, please, okay? I know we could go, we could go for hours on this and we'll, we'll come back to it. Stop looking at the people around you as the source for your joy and peace. There are folks listening to me right now. You've tried to make a spouse meet needs you have in your life that only God can meet. And because you don't have the levels of joy and peace in your life that you that you long for and need, you start blaming the closest people to you. They're not doing this for me and she's not doing that for me. Listen to me. This is a radical shift in perspective, but it's Jesus' perspective, right? He said this. He said, I didn't, I didn't show up here to be served. I'm here to serve. Not here to take. I'm here to give. What is that? The leech has two daughters, give and take and take, or what how's it go in the proverb? We're not parasites looking for other people to drain from them the emotional energy that we need. We're here to give. We're here to bless. Men, I double-dog dare you to find new and creative ways to serve your wife. Well, that's not biblical. Yes, it is. Jesus, Jesus came to serve. He, 
We're to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. Did you cook her supper one day? Did you go get her a glass of tea? Amen. Pastor Mark, are you see, I am, I. You mean to tell me, no, Jesus is telling you. See, that's this different. Are you saying, no, I'm not saying it. Jesus said it. You say, well, boy, that's a different perspective. Exactly. A significant shift, wouldn't it be? Yeah. All right, Father, thank you for our time together this morning. I pray that everything my brothers and sisters touch this week will prosper for your glory. Father, I ask that you personally, you personally reveal yourself to them and in, in meaningful ways. Father, that you would speak to us individually about key areas, specific areas of significant shift, Lord, in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, our finances. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, know that you're loved. Know that, um, that God is for you. And if he be for you, who can be against you? Amen. I'll see some of you tomorrow, some of you on Wednesday. Good things coming.